It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 505 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. If you like the show, it would really help us out if you've subscribed, left a review for us. You can do this all with the podcast app on the phone you're using to listen to this podcast, so please go ahead, hit pause, quickly subscribe, leave your review, and then come right back. We'll be waiting for you. Joining me on this show for the first time is Scott Ingram. Scott's a practicing salesperson in his day job, and he moonlights as the host of a podcast called Sales Success Stories, in which he interviews people who sell for a living. Sort of unusual, I guess. So I asked Scott to come on the show because he's really a smart guy about sales. I mean, Scott and I met for the first time a few months ago at a conference in San Francisco. We ended up having a great talk about sales, and I asked Scott if he'd come on Accelerate and share some of the insights that he's picked up from the sales professionals that he interviewed on his show. So let's get right into it. Scott, welcome to Accelerate. Happy to be here, Andy. My pleasure. So we met, what, a month ago in San Francisco? I think, I think it was. about right. Yeah, it was, we had a great conversation. That was, that was a lot of fun. So <laughs> obviously, so it's like, I got to get Scott on the show, make sure he's on. So, um, well, another good conversation here today. I think we will. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So here's opening question. This is becoming my new opening question for guests is in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge today facing sales reps? Overwhelm. Overwhelm. I, I, yeah. I, I think that there is. There's just a lot of responsibility, a lot of confusion and tactics and ideas and just so, so much that needs to get done and so many different ideas for how to get it done um, that it's, it's really a challenge to, to figure out what are the right things and how do you maintain focus in a very, very noisy environment that is sales today. Well, do you think it's a drag on their personal productivity? I think productivity for sure. Uh, you know, I, I work on my own personal productivity and have for years and work incredibly hard just to tame all of the notifications and things that come <laughs> at you, right? So I, I have virtually all notifications turned off on my phone. I don't get a notification when I get an email. Uh, right. I, I really, I don't do Facebook, period. I gave up on Facebook a couple of years ago just because it was such a, a time suck. I, I think there's just so many traps and ways that we're being pulled. And it's not just sales, right? It's it's humans today. Exactly. There's there's a lot to distract us. And so to be able to stay focused and that's, that's the challenge that we have in working with our clients and opening doors uh, is, is they're dealing with the same things and we have to find creative ways to break through that noise. So it's, it's the overwhelm of everybody. Okay. All right. So you sound a lot like my buddy, Jill Conrath, when you talk about overwhelm, she, she talks about that as well. So what's the one behavior then they should master in order to deal with that? Ooh, good question. Turn stuff off. You know, l really learn how to focus. Um, you know, a lot of the guests that I've talked to on my show, they've adopted the, you know, I only check email a few times a day uh, and, and they're in a much more proactive stance rather than being reactive. Yeah, I'd like to put monitors on those people that say they only do it a few times a day. 
<laughs> you know what? You know what's interesting, and and I, I haven't tested any of those folks, but every now and then I'll get those emails that say, "Oh, I only check email twice a day," and I'll send them a note and get an immediate response. I'm like, eh, <laughs> maybe that's you're not doing what you say you're doing. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, they talk about uh, millennials. You know, there's a category they call them super checkers. And they find the super checkers are checking their phone more than 50 times a day. And I, I think that's very, I, very common. I mean, I've, well, I've been I, in I, that place. Well, I, <laughs> I mentioned it to, to my son, who's a millennial. And he, he laughed. He said, was that a Only day 50? or an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, they said a day. But that sounds awfully low for me, for somebody to be con- considering somebody a super checker. Is they only check their phone 52 times a day. But I guess if you got a job... Yeah, maybe that constrains you to some degree, but uh, <laughs> think about that. All right, so let's talk about you, your show, which again, tell people the name of your podcast. Yeah, so the show is the Sales Success Stories podcast, and it's it's really something that I came to. I, I was really trying to scratch my own itch. Uh, I've been a a large consumer of sales content over the years, um, but I've always been frustrated by the fact that. I mean, there's some there's some great stuff out there. I mean, Jill Conrath has has got great things, and Jeb Blunt and Andy Paul, and all, you know, all of these folks have written some Thank great books. Goodness, and, you mentioned that. <laughs> well, like, you know, would have been a very short interview otherwise. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but y- y- what was missing for me is what the very best salespeople are doing. Where where are those? folks. And it's interesting. I was joking with a guest of mine, uh, with Robbie Siegel, who um, really super interesting story. He's an individual contributor now um, after having been a VP of sales for about 10 years and just made a very, very conscious choice to go back into the field, wanted to reduce his travel, uh, wanted to spend more time with his family. Um, in a two-year period, got to a place where he was the number one uh, contributor in the organization, did something like $6.4 million uh, in in sales. And he joked with me, he's like, well, of course, Scott, like none of us are writing books because we don't have time, right? We're we're too busy selling. So the, the goal of the, my show was really to get directly to the folks who were actually having the most success. And I only interview the number one individual contributor in a particular organization, or if it's a very, very large organization, I'll, I'll settle for the top 1%. Uh, and it's been absolutely enlightening. I'm, I'm having a blast. As, as you know, this podcasting thing is, is an awful lot of fun. It is. <laughs> it is. Yes. As I speak, as today, the day we're recording this, we published our 450th episode. So yes, I must like it. Otherwise, what the heck am I doing? Yeah, you're, you're about... Uh, that's that's some order of magnitude more than me, and and I will never catch up at my at my biweekly pace. But uh, it, it is still a blast. All right, so we're going to talk about some things that you've learned that are sort of the most consistent traits among the top sales professionals you've interviewed. So let's sort of take these in order. One is they have a belief in their solution and the value they bring. Meaning, if it's not best in class, they don't sell it. Now. Now, I, I found that kind of interesting because I'm going to have sort of a contrarian view on this is that when someone says that to me, it's, it's bordering on complacency. You know, if it's Compl- not the best. Complacency how? Well, because, you know, the things that are the best, yeah, oftentimes they don't take as much effort to sell. You know, I can only be bothered to sell the best in class because, you know, 
if I'm trying to sell something new, something that's unproven, something that's that's trying to become the best in class, that's that I gotta get down the trenches. That's guerrilla warfare. You know, I've I've got a extremely tactical. That's that's really different than saying, yeah, if it's not the best in class, I don't sell it. Yeah, and I I think that this is really just how it's the passion that comes across for their own solution. Because I think if you look at the different people who have said that, they're not necessarily working for the number one company in in their space or the one that would be perceived as the easy sale. I, I think it's, again, just that that deep belief that what we have to offer or the fit um, or the value that they're able to bring to their clients, um, that that they believe that. And I think that really comes across. I think that when you're buying, you have sort of a sixth sense about those things, whether mm-hmm. you recognize it or not. And if, if somebody is, doesn't believe in their solution, I, I don't think that they're going to have a lot of success because people will sniff that out one way or another. Yeah. Well, I think there's two ways, absolutely, to, to take that statement. Because and I was sort of reacting because, you know, my experience in Silicon Valley and the tech business has been that, you know, there are lots of people that are very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And we're selling solutions that were, you know, the, you know, one in a million thing that just took off like crazy and suddenly, you know, became the smartest kids in the class through no fault of their own or no contribution of their own, let's say. Um, and when we talk about then, you run into these people afterwards and, and it's all about, you know, the subsequent deals of, oh, I'm going to sell best in class. And, and what they're really saying is they're looking for that one that's going to be the next, the next, you know, one that, that skyrockets, right? So, um, but I also understand you have to have passion for what you're selling and people underestimate that. I mean, I think that that's sort of the other way of interpreting what they're saying is, is you have to believe in the value you deliver even if it's not best in class, even if there's something, you know, somebody has a broader solution, but what you offer is maybe a little more point solution, but you got to believe in it. Otherwise, go find something else. Yeah, well, and I think the belief is also twofold. It's not just in their solution, but I think there's also a belief in themselves and a level of confidence and trust in uh, their process and the value that they bring to their clients and, and really just their own ability to execute. So it's it's just an overall level of of confidence that I think comes across in, in its entirety. So how do you how do you discern that confidence from bravado? <laughs> that's a great question. I I don't think I can answer that. That's for the buyer that's for the buyer to decide if if you've gone over the line and and you know you're the bull in the china shop because it's it's absolutely a fine line. Yeah. I mean again, a little bit of contrarian view because you know the, the people I knew that were the best and who are the best for them, you know, the primary driver was, yeah, there was a belief in themselves, but part of that, what that belief in themselves drove was them looking for the most interesting challenge. And that's, Mm. that could be best in class. It doesn't necessarily have to be best in class, but that's what, that's what drove those people that I knew, you know, the, the peers that I came in or the younger people I've coached and so on in, you know, primarily in tech business, but not exclusively, yeah, what's, what's the next big challenge? I, w- I want that challenge. And the confidence says, is, look, give me the challenge. I'm going to be able to meet it. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, that, that was sort of, as I was thinking about the, the traits you sort of laid out, is that's the one for me that, that 
stood out among all the others and people I knew is, is give me the challenge. And again, that's it, it's a level of confidence, right? So the, yes, the yeah, if absolutely. it's not if it's not best in class, don't sell it, right? That was one comment, but I, I think there is that much broader theme um, of just just the confidence all all the way around. Mm-hmm. And and you're absolutely right, though it it is it is the right thing, right? Because if you're perceived, if you're just an egomaniac and, and kind of bull in the China shop, that's, that has the opposite impact of what you're really looking to accomplish. I think oftentimes. Yeah. Well, and there's certainly a cadre of, of people in any, any industry who are sort of hired guns, mercenaries, and we see it more and more over the last 10, 15 years, you know, job, job tenure sort of decreases in the sales space. People come in, try to milk it for all the money they can hop to the next one. Yeah, that's not always, <laughs> those aren't always the best people, right? I mean, best people is really contextual as far as I'm concerned. Is, is I've seen companies sort of hire the mercenaries and yeah, they might get a little bump, but then the mercenaries move on and what happens to them? Yeah, well, and, and I think if you look at the lifetime value of their customers, right? I, I think you have to look beyond just the initial contract that that type of individual brings in and look at the, the lifetime quality of that kind of customer. Do they stick around? Are they happy? Are they, are they referenceable or do they, do they make referrals? Like that's, that's the real value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So next one you talk about was a uh, shared trait among your top performers was a focus on their client and deeply caring about their results. And I, I think it's really just simply that I've, I've been struck by um, how much just in general, these conversations, um, really just smash the stereotypical negative sales stereotype of, of what the very top performers are. And I, I just, I have found them to be super passionate and caring about their clients results and, mm-hmm. and have really a vested interest in where that goes. And I, I think, particularly folks that have been in the industry in the same industry for a long time and are able to continue to ride that because just like you said with with tenure decreasing if you're able to build those kinds of relationships and deliver those kinds of results for your clients then you benefit from them buying from you again when they're in a same or higher level role in another company um, and and their friends and everything else that kind of comes from that. So it's it's been really interesting to see just how caring they are and, and not seeing this as, you know, you're, you're a transaction, you're a means to an end because I've, I've got a I've got a sales record to crush. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to me, the difference is you look at selling as a service right service you provide to somebody exactly and, right and one of the, the clues i look for and and i wrote about this in my one of my books is is that yeah i don't want somebody that's going to say well i'm selling to someone but you know we're working with this client right <laughs> it's a collaborative effort and yeah, it's not you're stealing all my thunder andy i have i have some some things written down for your rapid fire uh, answers later that sound an awful lot like that <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea i'm sorry I, I didn't mean to steal your thunder but but yeah i think that that is absolutely true is is for me looking at myself not you know to lump myself into that category if i can of the top performers is yeah for me it's always about the service you know that you're providing and and I think one of the other sort of 
representations you see about that is is and how you can tell somebody's not truly service oriented is they're a little too concerned about who's getting the credit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that to me that's always the big clue right if you get somebody that says yeah that was mine that was mine or i did this i did this when it was really a team effort let's say yeah um and when isn't it a team effort well exactly but in some cases more team than others but i mean it's yeah it's always a team effort and so if somebody's just trying to hog the credit yeah, that, that's a problem. They, they probably have client issues. Yeah. Okay, so next one on your list was surrounding themselves with the best and understanding and growing themselves. So there are two there. So first of all, surrounding themselves with the best. Now, in this case, what do you think they meant by the best? Yeah, well, I think this comes across in, in a couple of different ways. I often will talk about the things that they do when they come into a, a new sales role and how they lay that early foundation for success and a a large majority talk about how they will figure out who the top people in the organization are, build relationship with them, understand what it is they're doing, right? What is the playbook? What's working? And then in, in many cases, um, I had a, a great interview with Kyle Gutzler, who was at Payscale, wrote a, a pretty great article on on LinkedIn about how he doubled his sales results in a single year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was just looking at what those top people were doing, taking the pieces that he thought were most effective and fit him the best, and then applying a multiple to it. Like, okay, well, if I do twice as much of that, you know, can I see better results? And absolutely, he ended up he ended up on top. So that's that's one piece, I think, in kind of that early on. But then it's uh, bringing together and, and Kyle, again, I just kind of the, the best example of this in he set up sort of a, a monthly brunch on on a Friday with the top performers in the organization as just a way to continue to to learn from each other and something that. In so many ways, what I'm trying to create, I've, I've heard my entire career, right? It was the Jim Rohn saying that you are the average of the five people that you surround yourself with. But when you think about the people that are at the very, very top, that's a really hard group to surround yourself with just based on availability mm-hmm. uh, alone. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, what I'm trying to do with my show is create that experience at scale. So here's a way that you can have the best in your ear and understand the ins and outs of what they're doing on a daily basis and what they feel is making them successful in a way that you can continue to listen to that and, and just absorb that without necessarily having to hunt down that individual and figure out a way to get time on their calendar. Well, I think there's, there's another aspect of this and I've been talking about this more recently on the show is yeah, they surround themselves with the best. They understood what it is they had to do, but also the point you made that was so critical was, is how do they apply that to what they're doing, their strengths, leverage their strengths. And so often now we see in sales you know, more tightly prescribed processes. And so the conundrum is the top performers stretch the rules, right? And they sort of get accommodated because they are succeeding. But part of it was they took a risk at some point. It worked for them. And then they were then to show management, look, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm doing things a little bit differently, but, you know, we're getting results out of it. But what happens is, is I think that sort of the middle, what I call the middle class within the sales organization, yeah, they just don't feel that freedom to take those risks. And, you know, as a consequence, they sort of consign themselves to 
being average. Well, and Andy, that was the most fascinating part to me of the conversation that we had together in San Francisco um, and, and you talking about how while sales is supposed to be this innovative space, it seems like everybody is running the exact same playbook. And I, I think maybe the broadest theme of, of all because there's definitely no set recipe with the individuals I've talked to. You you can't, it's, it's actually hard to go find these consistent themes, but I think the very most consistent one is they, there is a pretty strong, deep level of self-awareness and they know what their strengths are and they are leveraging and maximizing them pretty handily. And I think a lot of that is being creative and yeah, finding ways that aren't the standard approach that everybody else is doing. And that's why um, everybody's so frustrated with all the crappy emails they're, they're getting <laughs> and, and all, you know, just the, the buyer experience is kind of rough the, these days just because sure. everybody's doing more of what's not working. Yeah. But I mean, you look at it as, is so we have these you know, incredible tools that are available to, to sales organizations and and they're using it, to your point, to drive a bunch more activity, but screaming for somebody to do it differently and do it better. And even if it's just one person in there, you know, because as you know, I talk to a lot of people on the show. I have this conversation increasingly now with people. You know, how do we, how do we encourage people to take risks? And, and that's anathema to a lot of managers these days because risk doesn't look good when they line up their metrics. Right. And it's, it's a big part of the reason why I, uh, I thrive in much smaller organizations. You know, sure. when, when I went to work for Eloqua, that was a great thing. When I found myself as, as one of 130,000 employees at Oracle, eh, not such a great thing for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you weren't the only one. I mean, there was a number, <laughs> of, a number of people that fit that same thing. And so, yeah, part of it's finding what, what your comfort level is, but also, is, yeah, I mean, organizations big organizations, even some, but we're seeing it now increasingly in smaller organizations is, yeah, I mean, this is, these are, this is what you got to do today, right? Here's the numbers, here's the calls, here's the dials, here's the conversations, da, 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 it's all laid out. And yeah, I had a conversation with one guest on the show that was, was talking about a situation where, you know, trying to coach people to, to adhere to the program, even though they might be, even though they might be hitting quota or even beating quota you know the, it was almost like it was being advocated that well yeah but this person's a disruption because they're not with the program even though they're succeeding right and i've heard yeah at, at uh the topo conference we're at uh i heard a conversation or a, a presentation the year before where basically someone made that case is that those people though they may be successful are not cultural fits and therefore we're gonna get rid of them <laughs> I was like, well, I understand the importance of culture. Absolutely. I've worked a number of organizations where it's, it was vital to our success. But was what the person doing to get business so at odds with the culture, otherwise known as the process, that you would terminate them? Yeah. Well, and, and it's, <laughs> I, I'd be so curious to see some type of study on those types of companies. Right. If, if you're going to we're going to build the mold 
And if people don't fit in the mold, then yeah. we're going to get rid of them. And this is the this is the process we're going to run. You know, how successful are those organizations really? And and what does their turnover look like? I can't I can't imagine that that's a very fun place to work. Where you know, here's you're a factory worker at that point. That to me. That that's certainly not why I came to sales, right? I, I came to sales because this is a really creative, innovative, fun, unique, get to do different things. I I, I don't I, I'm not interested in working on the Henry Ford uh, production line. Well, but isn't there a danger of us sort of replicating that production line environment in you know, some of the inside sales environments that we have these days? Well, I think that was the point that you were making. I think we yes. already have. <laughs> I, I think huh, we already have. Fact, and, yeah. and if you look at if you look at those metrics, I would guess that they're degrading over time in, in terms of your conversion. And so what do you do? You just keep do you keep adding more people to it? You add more pressure to have more dials and more touches and piss the market off even more? Like we're we're going in the wrong direction. Well, yeah, and I think you see in certain companies that are maybe high growth, highly high transactional inside sales that, you know, the SDRs, you know, sort of fall into one of three paths. And sort of to your point, one is they get burned out after a certain period of time and the conversions stop dropping and then they get fired. Or, you know, especially if they can't, you know, remediate the, the difficulty, whatever psychological challenge or what, you know, whatever challenge it is. Secondly, they're able to hang on for 12 months at some sort of level and then they get promoted to SDR manager. Or they hang on for 12 months and then the next new bright, shiny object comes into view and they jump. Well, and I've talked with uh, three or four SDRs on the show at this point. So these are top SDRs and the most successful SDRs are the most creative SDRs. I mean, I've talked to the top SDR at Sales Loft, which is very meta mm -hmm. and very, very creative and talk to the top sales uh, SDR at, at Vidyard and how they're using their viewed it kind of video product, sure. which is incredibly unique, right? No, I love, this love is, that product. This is true personalization where this can't be canned. <laughs> I've got a picture with a whiteboard with your name on it, Andy, and I'm going to I'm going to leave a message for you that is short and relevant and truly personalized. And that really stands out because we'll we'll never well never say never because I guess there are ways that it could be possible, but that's not going to get automated and built into some type of a spam can. And I, I think that's why they're seeing like outrageous. I mean, they're seeing like 8x uh, improved open rates when you do that. But oh my gosh, it takes a little bit of extra work to do that. Yeah. So you're not going to have you know, the same number of quote unquote dials, right? But they each could be more effective. And exactly. That, that's the, that's the part of the, the equation that seems like not the good companies, you know, like Salesloft and so on. Clearly, they're getting a vidyard, but yeah, the the great mass of companies that are trying to do this, yeah, they don't get it, right? Their managers are just saying, "Here's the number, do the number." And it's sort of, yeah, you know, I always think of of uh, Karl Marx, you know, communist manifesto <laughs> is, you know, workers of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. Yeah, I don't feel like sometimes like SDRs, that's sort of the predicament some of them are in in some companies is, yeah, time for a little little uprising. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think those are the same organizations where there is no career path, right? It, it is we're just going to either run you into the ground um, or or maybe somehow you get to manage running other people into the ground. <laughs> Until you run you, your both, right? both in the ground, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah ex- exactly. You know, it, but it's the places. And again, I, I think you can look to those same companies. You can look at SalesLoft and you can look at uh, you can look at Vidyard. You can look at Vision Critical and the other folks that that I've talked to in in that space and nearly all all of those folks are progressing into a field sales role. Like they've had an opportunity to prove themselves, to mm-hmm. get some skills along the way, to really truly partner um, with the folks that are in the field that they're getting meetings for and right. develop themselves and become something, become something more. That is something to live for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a ran into somebody at a, a company that I won't name that guy had been SDR there for seven years. Oh my God. And having a good time and doing a great job. But I, I brought that up to a VP of sales for another company that had a similar sales model. And he was appalled. It, it never occurred to him that this could be a career. And that's the, that's the thing that sort of gets me is you know, we train people, but the way that, that so many companies implement the SDR function, as you sort of alluded to earlier, it's meant to grind people up and sort them out. And there's going to be a few left standing and we promote them into management or field sales. But everybody else, right? They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and there's something wrong with that, right? Why can't being SDR be a career unto its, exactly. itself? That It's such a valuable, valuable function. Absolutely. Why can't somebody be the best at the world at that and do it for 10 years? Exactly. But this, this, and I've had that reaction, not just from this individual, but from multiple people just that's crazy and i'm like no it's the opposite of crazy it's incredibly sane <laughs> i mean hopefully they're paying that guy a ton of money because if he's doing that well they stuck around for seven years um in the environment that he's in yeah make sure the guy's well compensated yeah absolutely as, as long as he's not part of your your middle class i, I like that i like yeah. that yeah 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 well, i i I don't know. I my impression was from talking to him and talking to his management team is yeah he was he was above quota. So okay, so let's see. So our last one then is 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 you're talking about uh, these people are good at orienting themselves around goals and coming up with the habits and routines and actions to make them happen. So I guess question for you for is really what what comes first the goals or the habits? <laughs> that's probably a catch-22. I mean, that's, that's a chicken or egg question. Um, I, I think that in this set of top performers, um, they, they go hand in hand. They, they, they've done the goals before. They understand that just having a goal isn't en- enough to get there. Um, and again, Robbie Siegel was was a great one to talk about this. And he referenced a book that is now escaping me. I'll, I'll put it in some notes for you. In fact, Andy, what I'll do is I'll put together a little page for your audience. If, if folks go to top1.fm forward slash Andy, um, I will be sure to include some of the some of the appropriate clips that that we reference. And, uh, and and I'll find whatever this book was. But he talked about it's not even habits aren't enough. And and the guidance that he got was really around it's about the routines that oftentimes we settle into. It's it's not we've designed a routine. It's just kind of the way things happen, right? Like, well, my my kids go to school at this time and therefore these other things happen and you just sort of settle into it, but rather taking a much, much more 
proactive approach. And he was just all about how do I wring every ounce out of uh, selling time mm-hmm. so, so that I can perform in that time. And, and he is also one of the absolutely most well-rounded guys I've ever talked to. The guy was really fit. We got a chance to have the conversation in person while I was at a, a conference in Vegas. So really fit guy. You could tell that his priority was his family. Um, and he spent the time there with them. Um, and at the same time was just absolutely delivering from from a revenue perspective and, and just his level of performance. And it, it was just all about optimizing everything that he did so that he could maximize that time that he had that was designated for selling. Yeah, well, it's well interesting. A couple interesting things there. One is is if people haven't read uh, and I. Again, a book I love, I refer to on the show quite often, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Really should, because a little bit to your point is is what he lays out, which I think is really the truth, is that habits really are routines. And they're a process. You know, that people tend to look at us sort of this this you know monolithic thing, but actually it, it is a process. And so I I think that that having the habits are what enable you to dream. Right, that's your confidence. Your confidence is built on confidence in knowing that you have these habits that enable you to to achieve what you want to achieve. So I, I always that's why I ask the question about goals and habits because I think fundamentally you sort of have to have the habits first, and then then you get the goals. But um, <laughs> but but be that as may. But to the other point that you had, that I think is really one that I've been spending more time thinking about, and is that. You talked about he spends the time with his his family and he's with them. He's with them. Is I think one of the things that's happened when we sort of have blurred the lines between uh, personal and professional lives from a time mm-hmm. we talk about work life integration and so on is I think it takes some of the pressure off optimizing the time that you've got set aside for work. So that what we're seeing is part of the reason that that may we're seeing people so comfortable to some degree with this you know blurring of the lines between work and play is that you know they don't have to be quite as much under pressure during those sort of defined work hours because they know it's just going to morph into a larger you know blob of time that that's you know that sometimes it's work sometimes it's play right i think the people that really set aside the work time yeah they've got an incentive to make sure they're really optimizing how they utilize that time because there is no more. I think that ties back so perfectly to where we started, right? We talked about the overwhelm and instead of spending all of your time halfway doing whatever it is you're doing, I'm, I'm half working, I'm half playing, I'm half engaged with my family and mm-hmm. you know wh- whichever one of those is in the lead. What if you did just one of those things all the way for that period of time and then set that aside and did the next thing. And the other thing I'll talk about, probably the best book that I read about a year ago was by Jocko Willink, and it was called Extreme Ownership. And Jocko was one of the most decorated Navy SEAL commanders um, in in Navy history, was, was running all the Fallujah, Iraq stuff. So saw a lot of crazy stuff happen. And this book is mind boggling. And the thing for me that absolutely stuck out of that book is he talks about discipline equals freedom. And he Mm -hmm. says, Mm -hmm. 
this is the military, right? So you have like very extraordinarily well-defined, this is standard operating procedure. This is what we do. We're going to drill this into you until it is part of your subconscious. And at that point, you, it's muscle memory. You know what to do. And that frees up your mind to do that last little bit of creative stuff. And it, just such an eye-opening concept for me um, that that I've really tried to to take to heart, and and I, I think it manifests in in a lot of ways. I mean, you hear the you know Steve Jobs only wore the same thing. That's one less decision that he had to make, and that discipline freed him up to do other things. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, to me, that's I've I've used that phrase multiple times. That discipline is freedom. I haven't read the book, and I will I will pick it up. But but yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the sort of exemplifications of that is is uh, I don't know if you ever read any of Stephen Ambrose's books about World War II, oral histories. You know, Band of Brothers was one of his, and uh, Citizen Soldiers, and about D Day. And you know, people are saying that one of the differences with the U.S. soldiers versus the you know the enemy combatants they were, they were fighting at that time was that the U.S. soldiers are so well trained that and understood, you know, unambiguously what their jobs were, but that when they got into a situation where they had to make decisions for themselves, they made the right decisions and they took the right initiative. They had that ownership. And, you know, I, that starts from a base of discipline. Yeah, it, it's such such great stuff. I mean, obviously, there's there's lots we can learn about the the military I come from. I was born in Germany. <laughs> my dad retired as a as a two star general in the in the army reserve. So I I, I believe in it. I think it's really good stuff. I, I respect anybody that has uh, served us in that way and and thank them a lot. And there's there's an awful lot we can we can learn from them because they do a lot of things right. Oh, they do. Well, I tell people, you know, people ask me, you know, who are my best managers? The best people I ever worked for. And they were both, one was uh, West Point and one was a Naval Academy guy. Far and away, best people managers I'd ever worked for. Yeah. And yeah, was, I, I can see that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, Scott, we've run out of time and it's been great talking to you as I hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again. So tell people how they can learn more about your podcast and you and, and connect with you. Yeah. So the, the easy way you're listening to a podcast now, so I'm sure you've got a podcast app running. If you will pause this and uh, do a quick search for sales success stories or Scott Ingram uh, and subscribe, would love for you to check that out and listen there. Um, like I said, I'll set up a special page for you, Andy, so we can pull together uh, a few of the special things. I'll, I'll put in the, the link to the books and some of the other things uh, at top1.fm forward slash Andy. And you can obviously surf around from there and uh, and learn more about the show and, and what we're up to. And it's, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Likewise, likewise. And friends, so Scott, thanks for joining me. Friends, thanks for joining me again on the show today. Uh, please come back, join me again tomorrow. Uh, as Scott said, you know, take a minute right now, pause this, use the podcast app on your phone to subscribe, to accelerate, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. So thanks again for joining me. Till next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 